The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Friends and fans, welcome to another episode of Moms at Work. Of course, we are the official jobs.mom podcast. I'm your host, Zabine Mirza, and today we're going to be talking about cultures in the media world, at agencies, companies, even on the client side, what is it like for women, for mothers, and why uh, in these fields, in these industries, and in these agencies that are predominantly uh, female, why do women and mothers especially still struggle? I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Amy Schoenthal, and Amy is the Vice President Group Manager of Digital at M Booth, and she is also an illustrious writer for Forbes. Um, Amy, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So Amy, this is something that I think has been long overdue for us to talk about. Um, you know, we talk about cultures um, of, of all sorts, of all industries, you know, IT, manufacturing, legal, consulting. Um, and, you know, there's there's always issues with representation of women and and mothers in those in those sectors and in those industries. But when we talk about media and marketing and advertising and branding, these are industries that are overwhelmingly women. But these are industries where women, I feel, um, sometimes struggle the most. Um, And you have some really interesting uh, experiences uh, in that regard. But before we dive in, why don't you share a little bit about your background, where you started, how you ended up where you are, and what you do? Sure. Um, so I I was a journalism major in college. Um, so I was, you know, going to be the next like Lois Lane. Um, but then I, I realized you could sort of be creative and do writing and tell people's stories by going on the other side of, of media, which was public relations. Um, and so I got my start actually in a Maryland dorm room doing public relations for who is now the, the CEO of Squarespace. Um, so that that's my claim to fame right there. Um, but anyway, so then for the next 16 years, <laughs> I would work at a variety of public relations and marketing firms, eventually um, transitioning full time to social and digital marketing, which is what I do now. So we've we've seen The Devil Wears Prada and we've seen a whole host of movies and TV shows, Ugly Betty, right? And you know, they, they always show the ad ad world, mad men, right? They always show the they, they show the ad world and the dig, and you know the marketing and media world as kind of a, a two-headed beast, right? Where on one hand it's extremely sexy and glamorous and slick, and on the other hand, the cost, right? At what expense? So talk a little bit about that, the expense. Sure. So, I mean, so I started my career in the early, you know, 2000s and that's when, you know, it was Devil Wears Prada. Um, Anna Wintour was like having her heyday sex in the city. So it was all like New York City glam. Like that's what you want. Um, And that first year or two out of college, all we did, you know, I worked at this boutique PR agency and all we did was launch parties and like courting editors. And we would, it felt so glamorous. Um, I was making pennies. I think each of my paychecks were like seven hundred dollars. Um, that's so that's every two weeks. Um, <laughs> I was living in my parents' house um, on Long Island, commuting to and from the city. Like I could not afford rent on that salary, even in the early two thousands. But yes, it was very glamorous. But I the hours were insane, and it was um, it was that agency definitely had a bit of a toxic culture. Um, 
you know, I think after a year of having been there, I was the longest running employee in the New York office. <laughs> so that, that gives you a sense of the turnover at that place. But it was exciting, right? Um, and again, you want to, you're right out of college, you want to feel close to the action. Um, eventually, I went to a beauty PR firm. And that's where the culture, you know, again, it wasn't super high-end beauty, but there was still echoes of that sort of like devil wears Prada, like everyone looked meticulous. Everyone, you know, was like head to toe, um, makeup, high heels. Um, and you know me, that's not me. And so I was, I was a little out of place at that agency for sure. Um, but I made it work and I actually carved out a pretty good career for myself there, despite, uh, you know, being a little different than everyone else. And I stayed there for about seven years. Wow. Um, so yeah, and that, that's really kind of how I got my start transitioning from public relations to to digital and social because I was young and like brands were first going on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and all that stuff. So, so yeah, um, you can always make it work, but I think to make it work, sometimes you have to put up with with some garbage. Yeah, and you know, let, we, let's talk about that garbage, right? Let's talk about the garbage. So, you know. When you watch these movies and you watch these TV shows, right, of course, a lot of it is glamorized for the silver screen and for Hollywood, but a lot of it isn't, right? When you're talking about, you know, the hierarchies that exist and being the new girl and, you know, the hours that you put in and also, you know, favoritism and, you know, um, kind of some of the, the, the backstabbing and, you know, it's, it's pretty cutthroat in, in this, in this, um, world. Um, and I think one of the, you know, one of the things that you talked about the high turnover, right. Turnover, you know, to be the longest running employee at, at one year is, you know, there's, there's a reason for that. And, you know, I think one of the, the biggest, uh, challenges in agency life is is the the long hours. One of the things you know, I spent a number of years um, on the agency side in New York and in Dubai, and I remember. And this is pre children, so we'll talk about post children, which is a completely other um, situation. But I remember that I would arrive at the office at eight a.m. and I would never leave before seven thirty ever. It was, it just, it wasn't done. You would get comments, you would get, oh, half day must be nice. I mean, you just, you never left. And it was just understood that you would just be there. And I remember one day I had left something at my apartment and I said, okay, you know, in the middle of the day, I'm just going to leave super fast and go to my apartment. I did not recognize my neighborhood in the daylight. So I got off of my stop and I was unsure of where I was because for the better part of a year, I had only seen it in the dark in the morning and in the dark in the evening. And it was not sustainable to, to work like that. And I think a lot of women really struggle, especially as they you know grow their families and, and have other obligations and dare to live a life outside of, outside of work. Look, I'm I'm really lucky because I don't think I was ever at a company that had a an ongoing sort of like all or nothing culture. Um, in marketing, a lot of what happens is you work like crazy leading up to a launch event or a you know product launch or um, you know if you have like a new business pitch with a really tight turnaround, that's when you're working really just. Out, you know, out of control hours. Then a lot of times there's like a dip. And when I say a dip, I mean, you're working nine to six and your life just feels like manageable. And it's weird because when your life feels manageable and you're only working a normal set of hours, it, it feels strange and you're uncomfortable with it. Um, but that's kind of how it goes. It's like a roller coaster. Um, you're working like crazy, um, you do nothing but work and then you have this sort of break. And I think, you know, for people that like the excitement and the hustle, um, which I did, I was that person. I'm, I'm still that person. Um, and I do like being challenged and doing different things. Um, I do just wish there was a little more balance during those really hectic periods. Um, so that when we had the breaks, it didn't feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Now, 
Let's talk about, you know, something that we touched upon a little bit in the beginning where there's so many women in PR, in marketing and advertising, um, but the cultures are still quite rigid and they're not there, you know, the structures don't exist to support women and mothers. And, and why is that? Well, I mean, there's two things. There's a lot of things, but I'll talk about two. Um, number one, PR, marketing, they're very high energy industries that favor youth. And when you're young, you have the energy, you have the lack of, you know, family responsibility for the most part. Um, you have the privilege of being able to work like that. And you have the drive because I just feel like your, your 20s and your early 30s are just about like, let me set myself up for the career that I want. Um, so that's number one, right? These industries favor youth and and that's why, like, that's why it's been able to to thrive like that. Um, I, I once heard someone say, you don't, ha- you don't throw retirement parties in advertising. And I was like, whoa, that is so true. Like you've never, like what happens to all the women over, you know, 50 in marketing and advertising? Like I, you, when I was younger, I didn't see that. I'm, I'm seeing more of it now, which is really nice, but, but it's still rare. Um, and the second thing I think is, The women who are in leadership positions, um, there are two different mindsets that that women and men can take on when they're in leadership positions. The first is, this is how I did it, so now you have to do it like this, right? Like, I paid my dues, I had to deal with this crap, now you have to deal with all of this. And then there's other leaders that say, I had to deal with this and it was not okay. And I want better for you. I want a better work situation for those who are coming up after me. And so that, I mean, that's the leader I try to be like. Um, And I think if you listen to your younger coworkers and you really, really listen and you try to understand what they want, they're not going to put up with the bullshit that we put up with. Um, There was this really great article about, People, again, like my age who graduated in the, you know, 2000s um, into that like uh, world of excess and valuing of like brand names and parties and events and glitz and glam. But then there was, you know, another generation that grew up, um, they graduated college in like 2008, went into a recession and into a world where it was more like entrepreneurship and work hard and hustle. And it's just like, it's a couple years, but it makes a big difference. Um, And I think, you know, there, our generation was called like the grateful to be here generation where again, like I was a journalism major and I had all these magazine internships and it was so cutthroat and it was so hard to get those that when you got it, you were just grateful to be there. You didn't care what menial tasks and horrible hours and horrible way you were treated. Like it didn't matter. You were just grateful to be in this world. People are not like that anymore. <laughs> like that does that mentality does not really I'm sure it exists somewhere. I just in the industries that I am in, I have seen more of a no, we're gonna hold leadership accountable and we're not afraid to say that we're leaving at five o'clock because not even like we have to take care of our kid, but like we, we want to go to an exercise class. And this is, I mean, this is pre COVID, but you know, we're just gonna, we're going to log off at six because we want to maintain some sort of work-life balance. And we're going to be honest about that. And we're going to take our days off. Um, That's what I'm seeing a lot of, which is very refreshing, but you, you have to, as a leader, allow sort of like the next generation and I have coworkers that are 10, 12, 15 years younger than me who I learn from every day, not just how to do things, right? Like how to set an ad on Instagram, but like literally how to create a different work culture that is better, not just for them, but for me, but for us, for the people in in leadership positions. Oh, I love that so much. You know, Amy, I can't even tell you, you know, I think the single most defining characteristic of business that are able to survive and thrive and weather cycles in the economy is a willingness to change and adapt, right? And, you know, I think it's so important. And, you know, what you were saying just now, we are coming out of the pandemic, you know, 
ish, right? We are we are kind of the the light at the end of the tunnel. We, we see it, and millions of women that have been displaced because of the pandemic, either fired, furloughed, forced out, they are now looking to get back to work. And you know, at jobs.mom, this is something that we are constantly trying to support women, not only in connecting connecting them to jobs and opportunities, but giving them the skills, giving them the confidence and giving them the guidance to say, you do not need to be grateful to be there. You know, you do not need to take, you know, a massive pay cut and work indentured servitude hours. And, you know, you can demand flexible work, work timings and a hybrid schedule. You should actually. And, you know, there are on top of that women that are also now, Amy, looking to make career pivots, right? The pandemic has, has displaced them and they're looking. So talk a little bit to these women, you know, number one, about how they should advocate for you know the hours and the work pattern that suits them and for anyone that's looking to get into PR and communications in this pandemic and post pandemic landscape what are the some of the things that they should be selling for themselves how should they be positioning themselves especially if it's a career switch mhm well number 1 i don't know if you saw that there is now a movement to add mom or mother to your linkedin profile yeah. um there there's this woman um her her name is megan she's like an influencer but she was also a marketer and she she wrote you know an instagram post that went viral and it was just like i have started adding to the end of every cover letter at the end of saying all my accomplishments that i had in the year 2020 Oh, I did all of this while homeschooling a child, uh, breastfeeding a newborn, and taking care of a four-year-old. Now, just imagine what I could do if society supported me and I had proper childcare in 2021. That's right. And it went viral. Um, but it was brilliant because I think, look, I will admit that I was one of those people who, again, in my 20s, I'm just like thinking that the number of hours I work will demonstrate my worth as an employee. And I am watching mothers and fathers run out the door at 530 and I'm judging them for it. I did that. I fully did that. And I was, Zabine, I was terrified when I got pregnant. I was terrified to tell my boss, my team. And these are people that are very supportive. My boss is a a father um, and he like leaves at 530. But I just, I thought that I would be so much so judged for having to do the same thing just as a mother. Um, Everyone was great. Everyone was super supportive. I put this on myself because of the judgment that I had towards mothers when I was younger. Um, But now on the other side of it, you see, like you see how motherhood, because it's just so chaotic. It makes you like a machine of efficiency. You do not have time. I didn't have to be working until 730 all those years if I could have just like structured my day a little differently and, you know, socialized a little bit less, I I could have gotten out of there at five 30 or six o'clock every day. What was I doing? Like I was doing it wrong now. Like when we were in the office, you know, I, I just got in there and I was a machine. I was a productivity machine because also you have to schedule your day when you're a new mom back at the office around pumping breaks. So for 20 minutes, three times a day, I would have to go into a little closet and produce milk for my child. So not only do you have to schedule around like leaving on time to relieve your childcare situation, but you also have to create little breaks within the day that are, I mean, it's near impossible, especially in marketing when people love to talk. So they love to schedule a million meetings and you have client, I'm, I'm in client services. Like I don't really have the ability to fully control my day. So it, I mean, it was bonkers, but I did it. And I was so self-conscious the whole time. I thought I was not, I, I don't know. I, I felt like I was having less of a just to-do list to check off. And I was more, you know, helping my colleagues solve their problems. Like that seemed to be my role when I came back from maternity leave. And I was like, oh my God, I don't, I don't think I'm doing enough. I don't think I'm contributing enough to my organization. Does it mean six months or eight months, something after I got back? I went into my performance review. I got the best performance review of my life. 
of my life because I was a machine. I had become a complete efficiency robot. Um, And not only was I just able to do better work, I was clearly, people were noticing and I was becoming a resource to help other people do their work better and more efficiently. Um, And yeah, and now I see it in other moms and I'm like, blown away by what some people do. People, I have one kid, people with two kids, three kids. How do you do it? Like you're, you're, if I think I'm a machine, you're a freaking robot, you know? Yeah. And you know, I mean, I think this is so important because oftentimes it's us that's in our own way, right? We're the ones that are putting up the barriers and and being the negative voice in our head to say, oh, they're never going to go for that. Or they're going to look at me badly for this. Or unless I'm like busting my butt and not eating, not sleeping, not living my life, then I'm never going to get anywhere. And the truth is, that's simply not the case, right? You teach people, and this is something I talk about all the time, you teach people how to treat you, right? You have to tell them, these are my boundaries. When I'm here at work, I'm going to give you 5,000%, but I have a hard stop at this time. I can come back online if needed and help with X, Y, and Z, but this is how I need to work and this is how I need to be supported. And a lot of women, especially mothers, we are afraid to, to speak up and do that. And, you know, honestly, it's a privilege to be working in a place where you can, you know, experience the things that you're mentioning, because a lot of places, people have a very different experience. And you look at the statistics, Amy, and, you know, we share, we share research all day and it's really depressing. The research is really depressing when it comes to the way working mothers are perceived. They're passed over for promotions because they're mothers. They are judged for being less committed because they are mothers. They are not invested in because they are mothers. And so that pipeline to leadership gets, you know, gets smaller and smaller and smaller until, as you mentioned, you don't retire in in advertising and you don't see older women especially. You'll see plenty of old men in advertising and marketing and, and PR, but you will not see, you know, historically older women as you get up in the ranks. So the lesson there for everybody listening is you do not need to compromise your health and your mental well-being and your family and your 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 children to get ahead in the career. Um as, as Amy mentioned. Now, Amy, for the women that are listening, right, you are somebody that has made a career in this space. You have had a child, you have, you know, risen through the ranks. What advice would you tell them professionally if these women that are now post-pandemic looking to move into PR, looking to move into comms and, and marketing and advertising, what, what professional advice would you give them to get started, get their foot in the door? How much, you know, this is what we, we hear all the time. Should I take a salary? decrease? What level should I come in at? What what should I be looking for? What advice would you give? So I don't know if I can speak to whether or not you should take a salary decrease, because I imagine that if you're trying to move into marketing, you're coming from some other industry. And even if you're coming from a full-time job or you're coming from having taken a few years off to go be a mom, I would just say, Why do you want to go into marketing and what do you think you could bring to it? Are you creative? Are you a good writer? Are you good at solving problems? Are you, you know, like what are the skills that you have um, that would make you a good employee, right? So if you're, I don't know, like a lawyer, right? Like what are you doing at your current job that would make you good at marketing? And talk to other marketers, right? Talk to me, talk to, go reach out on LinkedIn. People respond, um, and say, like, I'm trying to make this career pivot. Here's why I think I'd be good at it. Um, you know, what what do what other, you know, qualities do you think I would need to land an interview at your firm, at your company? Um, and I mean, there is also just like such a host of resources at your disposal disposal. Like you go take a master class on marketing. You could get like I don't want to insult anyone who has gotten an MBA, but like you could get like pretty close to a good education that's like comparable to someone who went to business school and got their MBA in marketing. If you really sought it out and dedicated the time, like you could get an education in marketing or whatever. It doesn't have to be marketing, whatever discipline you're looking to go into, you could get somewhat of an education online. Um, 
talk to people. Also, if you can, if you have the flexibility, take on a small freelance project. Um, Go to your local business, right? Go to your local coffee shop, your local yoga studio and say, hey, like I'm looking to get into digital advertising or social media marketing. Like, can I suggest some stuff for your Instagram? Can I play with your Instagram account? Can I do this? Can I do that? Like the small business owners are always looking for help because they don't have the resources to hire people for it. And so take that as your internship and help, like help a small business out while you're doing it. Better yet, go find a mom-owned small business and help, help them out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, if you want to learn a trade, you can go learn a trade, whatever it may be. Um, and that does not necessarily mean going to get a formal internship at an agency, you know, seek out mentors, seek out people to talk to, and then just seek out opportunities to test things out and try new things. And then you'll not only build the skill set in some way, you'll build your confidence in going into that interview at a, a big marketing firm, right? And you say like, look, I did this job. It wasn't exactly marketing, but I also, you know, built the audience of the local coffee shop's Instagram account, you know, 500% over six months and like just spout out those stats and people will be like, oh, she knows what she's doing. I would also put it on organizations because I know, honestly, my firm is guilty of this. They look at, you know, a lot of people, they'll look at a resume and they'll say, yeah, that's not the exact experience we're looking for. You know, we really were hoping for someone who has worked at a PR agency or worked at a social media agency, but look beyond that. Because there are so many skills that are transferable. There's a lot that you can teach. There's a lot that you can't teach. But I would say that those skills that you can't teach don't really have anything to do with marketing. They have everything to do with like interaction and human contact and leadership and intuition. By the way, all things you learn as a mother, as a parent, right? Patience, um, focus, listening, dedication, determination, um, yeah, like those things, well, I guess they can be taught um, and you get a crash course in it if you become a mother. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I think I think that's so important because, you know, what you just said is so – it's so important and, and, you know, I always – you know, we have – we have, you know, all the mothers that we we help. We do a lot of upskilling and reskilling, and the the core skills that we are constantly teaching, training, upskilling, and reskilling are not technical skills, Amy. It's, you know, service orientation and creativity and complex problem solving and critical thinking and decision making and, you know these are industry agnostic skills. It doesn't matter if you were a pilot, if you were a farmer, if you were whatever, you know, these are skills um, that you're going to need to have. And I love what you said. Um, and I was actually just quoted in um, an, NBC t- uh, an NBC piece talking about this, you know, leveraging your network and social media to help you get the experience and the advice that you need, exactly what you mentioned, People respond, right? People will respond. But if you don't put yourself out there and say, hey, could anyone spare some time to give me some feedback? You have to swallow the pride. You have to, you know, throw the ego away and say, I need a little help. You have been doing this for X amount of time. You were successful in A, B, and C. Could you give me some guidance? And I love what Mm -hmm. you mentioned about helping the small businesses and building your, your little portfolio, right? Um, that's that's powerful, powerful stuff. And, you know, again, for all the women that are listening, you know, people are always talking about, oh, you know, I don't know if I have the relevant experience. And, you know, there was that study, right, about how men apply for jobs and how women apply to jobs. Men will have zero relevant experience, zero relevant background, zero relevant education, and they'll apply. And you know what? They'll get the job. Right. Whereas women goes a long way. Confidence and attitude goes a long way. Absolutely. And women, you'll meet all the parameters and you still won't apply because you'll still think maybe it's not exactly what they're looking for. And you know, we really need to have um, we need to have more confidence and we have to recognize this is not just about the technical skills, even you know, the way medical schools are recruiting students, Amy, they're not looking for biology majors anymore. They're looking for communications majors. They're looking for Mm -hmm. humanities majors because, you know, those technical skills, as you mentioned, can be taught. 
But the soft skills, right, the attitude, the character, that cannot. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and you showcase, so if we segue to the work that you do at Forbes, right, um, because you have carved out this amazing little corner for yourself at Forbes where you interview um, and, and showcase, you know, women that are doing exceptional things, you know, entrepreneurship and innovation. And, um, you know, when I read the interviews that you do, and I read all of them because I am a diehard fan of mm-hmm. yours, Amy, um, the one thing that you are so keen on always focusing on in every single piece is how they did it and why they did it, right? Instead of the more technical, the motivation, right? And that mm-hmm. is what is so inspiring. So can you talk a little bit about the work that you do at Forbes and what that's taught you as a mother? Yeah. So a lot of the women that I interview for Forbes have one thing in common and they're mostly founders, but they're not all founders. They're, you know, I like to say, I, I just like to talk to women who are shaping society and culture in some way. But the one thing that everyone says, and I think I interviewed Zabine, so please read that if you haven't already. But the one thing that everyone says is, I just, when things get hard, I just remember why I started this and I have to stay true to my mission. Yeah. Every single person, because I always ask, okay, how did you do it? What obstacles did you face? How did you overcome those obstacles? And they, you know, everyone has a different story, but one theme that I always find is people saying, I went out on this mission to do this thing. And when I get caught up in, you know, inventory and customer service and a website that's crashing and technical problems and all this stuff that drives you crazy on a daily basis as you're running a company or working at a company or doing anything, all this stuff that just trips you up all day you just have to sit back and remember why you're doing this or why you started doing this. And you go back to that. Um, And I think as parents, that's how we deal with toddler tantrums and infants being up all night because you went into this because you wanted to create a life and raise a child and, you know, contribute to society in that way. Um, and well, you really just don't have any other choice. Your infant's up all night. You just got to deal with it. Um, right. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's sort of the same with entrepreneurship. Um, a lot of, a lot of the women that I interviewed didn't necessarily have a background in whatever industry they went and started a company in. Um, you know, I, I spoke to a woman who she worked at wedding wire. She was a marketer. Now she's running this incredible cannabis company. Um, where she's like recruiting all kinds of women to like basically sell cannabis. And also it's a lifestyle company where she's empowering women to talk more openly about sex and stress and sleep and to like go after these things that were previously thought of as taboo. Like as an entrepreneur, you're supposed to be like, I don't need to sleep. I'm, you know, it's fine, but no, 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 you need sleep. You need to recharge. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just interviewed a senator who said the same thing, right? Like she, that, like, that is a really hard job, you guys. Being a United States senator in 2021 is a really hard job. And she said the same thing. She said, I just remember why I'm doing this. There are people that are depending on me to do this. And, you know, you rest, you rejuvenate, you do what you need to do, and you get back into the fray because you made the decision to do this because you were passionate about it and you, you want to follow through with it. Um, and you're on a mission and you just stay true to that mission and that's what moves you forward. Yeah. And I think that's really important advice for everybody that's listening. You know, as a working mother, it's, it's really hard. It's really easy to get extremely bogged down by all the reasons that you can't do something. Um, it's easy to get sucked into all the ways in which society and, and companies are not built to support you. And they're not. You have to pump in a little closet. I have to pump in the bathroom. I was pumping in a stairwell next to cigarette butts. I mean, it's, you know, we, we live in a society that from the time girls are born, preps, primes, and pushes you to have children 
And then after you have children, penalizes you by not paying you enough, not supporting you with childcare, not providing you with the appropriate health care, not providing you with fair employment or employment opportunities. Um, it's broken, right? The system is broken and it's easy to get sucked into that. But I think what Amy mentioned is also really important to remember, you know, that you are more than just the mother. And if you want to work, you should be able to work. You should be able to pursue the careers that are important and interesting and exciting to you. And you should be given every opportunity to excel. And you should not be penalized for, for, for being a woman, for having children. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about is you should not accept discrimination and bias and aggressions, even the most microaggressions against you. And Amy, we were talking about this before the show. Very few cultures are openly and overtly discriminatory towards women in, in 2021. But those little microaggressions still exist. And the dangerous thing about microaggressions is that you'll say, oh, you know, Amy, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just brush it off. I'll brush it off. I'll brush it off until one day, uh, a literal mountain has been built uh, from this, what was once a molehill. So you've had quite a few experiences with these, these microaggressions. What did you experience and how did you overcome those? Yeah. I mean, I like to say that, look, I, I am super privileged in many ways. And I think we need to acknowledge that. Um, like I, I'm white. I come from a middle-class family. Like I have experienced way fewer microaggressions than a lot of, you know, my, my peers and potentially a lot of the people that are listening. Um, and so I can just acknowledge that like, I come at this from a very privileged standpoint. Um, but I do like to say that I, one thing I have experienced is not overt sexism at all, not blatant sexism. I have never really experienced that. What I have um, seen a lot of is the unintentional sexism of the well-intentioned man. The woke man who is trying, you know, is out there saying, oh, well, I'm a father of daughters, so I can't possibly be sexist. But then, you know, there's um, uh, someone I, I recently spoke to like to say, well, but then he's bringing his, his buddy, he's given his buddy the helicopter to the top of the mountain while you're, you know, scraping and climbing up it. Um, and so like the end goal is the same, but like the journey to get there is, is quite different. Um, but it's unintentional. And that makes it a lot harder to call out. And that makes it a lot harder to be upset by when you are the victim of it. And again, like I come at this from a very privileged scenario, but that is, um, I think that's just like the epitome of, of the, the frustration that many women have experienced, um, especially, you know, working at, at companies in my industry, right. It's marketing, it's PR, there's, um, I've worked for a lot of women run companies, but they're, if you really like unpack things, it's not really women run. Like if the woman's the president, the CEO is a man. Um, or if the woman, you know, there's one agency I worked at where it was founded by a woman and that was sort of the name on the door, but it was run by a man. And, uh, my boss was this incredible woman. Like, oh, she was such a badass. She was so good at her job. I, I mean, everyone loved her and she was totally cast aside when she had a child um, for this, this bro-y guy that was hired, even though, I mean, he interviewed with me and a bunch of other women. And we all said, we think he's, you know, excuse my language, full of shit. Like he was just one of those douchey marketing guys who I think he called himself, I am an idea guy. Like he said those words about himself. So that was a big red flag to literally anyone who was paying attention. <laughs> my boss was sort of cast aside. Um, and he came on and of course he was terrible. <laughs> he was terrible. I, you know, he was that, he was actually the definition of like one of the men who sat in a conference room and, you know, I would say something or another woman would say something and he would just say the same exact thing again, but more dramatically. So everyone 
would listen to him, you know, in that sort of voice. And you're like, wait, I just said the same thing, but in a different, just more matter of fact voice. And that look, we talked about confidence before. That's the epitome of confidence, right? Like you need to make sure. And again, like this is, it shouldn't be all on women, but you know, we live in the world we live in. You need to make sure that you're not only delivering the message that you want to get across, that you're delivering it with confidence and you're speaking. This is something I struggle with. You're speaking slowly. I talk so fast. People miss what I say because I talk fast and I talk too much and I ramble and I totally negate my credibility because of how I present my ideas in that way. And so that's something I've gotten a little bit better at, but I will always be working on that. But then, you know, you have this guy who comes in and he's just, you know, he speaks slowly and dramatically and it doesn't matter that he's repeating the same thing that you and four other women just said. People listen to him because of his presence. And it's like, you know, but he's the father of daughters, so he can't possibly be sexist even though he's repeating exactly what you said and not doing any of his own work. <laughs> oh, you know, you're, 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 talking, you're talking and I feel my skin crawl because I've experienced <laughs> men like that. I think, I think any woman that you speak to will have experienced, you know, being mansplained and talked over and, you know, dimin- di- dismissed and diminished and discredited by a man what advice would you give, Amy, to the women that are experiencing something like that? You, you know, you talked about delivering messages with confidence, and let's say you are, but how do you mm-hmm. call that out without being painted as the angry, sensitive, emotional woman, which is the stereotype we're always, you know, stuck with? I have a great answer, but I will be honest, I have no, I have barely been able to actually do this myself. So I'm gonna give <laughs> you the answer. But I don't want you sitting here listening to my words thinking that I'm good at this. So the way to disarm a situation like that is to challenge it in the moment, not in an angry way, in a very calm, very inquisitive and curious way. So a man says something in a meeting that you just said or your colleague just said. You see it. You notice it. You're thrown off by it. So you don't think to say anything. And I don't think I ever said anything in the moment but you notice it. And so if you can muster the courage and if you feel safe in the room, uh, all you need to do is just ask a question and say, wait, I'm sorry. Didn't, didn't Ashley just say that exact thing is what you're saying different because I'm not understanding how that's different than what Ashley just said. Just try it. Just, just ask a question, challenge it in a very, calm, not angry, like muster all the energy to not scream at this guy, but just challenge it. Right. Um, and you know, if you're criticized again, like I always am for rambling or talking too much. And again, I have never gotten the courage up to do it, but maybe I will tomorrow or after, um, maybe my colleagues hear this podcast and I'll just say, so you're criticizing me for talking too much, but did you criticize this this other guy for talking too much? Because I think he talked a lot in that meeting. So is he, I just want to make sure, you know, he's being held to the same or not even that because that's really hard to say. I'm just curious how, if, if he's working on that and if he's doing that, like, how is he doing that? Because I'm sure I could learn from that because I'm sure he struggles with that too. Or, you know, I mean, you ramble a lot too. Is that something you're working on? And what are you doing to work on it? Because maybe that can help me. Yes. And you sort of, again, like you, you, Keep it low key, but you throw it back at them because it's valid and you are genuinely being curious. Oh, if you're working on that, I'd love to know your tips because I know that's something you struggle with too, or he struggles with too. What What advice did you give him? Brilliant. And you know what? The great thing about this strategy and this tactic is that it's not combative. Um, it's not critical and it's not negative. It's more you coming from an innocent, curious place. That's also kind of shining a spotlight on their or another person's similar shortcomings that you're being held accountable for, but you're not sure that they are. Totally. And honestly, asking these questions will make you better Yes, because you might get real answers. Even if the criticism is unfair yeah. or you're being held to a higher standard, asking the questions yeah. 
pointing out that maybe your colleague does a similar thing that maybe your boss didn't realize that, that the colleague does. Like you might, you're going to get real information that will help you be a better employee at the end of the day, right? And you shift and cultures I, that way, Amy, too. Yeah. You shift cultures because now leaders exactly. are being held accountable and they're like, oh, shoot, Amy's paying attention. I need to shape up, right? You're not coming at it as a, you're acknowledging that the criticism is valid because you're taking it, but you're just saying, oh, I noticed this person struggles with it too. Right. And it doesn't matter that that person is a man or a person without kids. You're you're genuinely asking, like, how can you be better? And no one can really get mad at you for that. Right. Um, and it is valid, right? And I think the other thing is, like, as a, a woman and a mother and honestly anyone in the workplace, um, and one thing that I don't think I did enough of, and I have told, I have spoken to many of my colleagues about how I did not do enough of this, when you see sexism or ageism or racism or anything, speak up again in a way that is non-combative, but just delicately points it out in a way that gets people to notice, but not get defensive. It's a very hard balance to strike, but point it out whenever you can. Because I think that when I, I was the first person on my team to become a mother I went through some stuff, again, that was really nobody's intention to discriminate or, you know, do anything that was hurtful, but some stuff happened that wasn't great. And I think what what I realized um, later on was, you know, there are other colleagues now that are experiencing similar things. And they're experiencing that now because I didn't do a lot to make things better for them. Yeah. I, I withstood the bullshit and I accepted it and I pressed on just because I was so self-conscious of my standing. Right. And so I just pressed on. I persevered. I was still grateful to be there. Yeah. And, and it's hard to take that, but it's, you it's have hard to. Because women live in a place of fear at work, yeah. right? Yeah. We're, we're afraid of. Even at the most wonderful and accepting of cultures, yeah. which I am nobody did this to me. Like, like, yeah. And, and nobody was intentionally doing anything harmful, yeah. but because I didn't point it out and I, I accepted it, I didn't make anything better for the people that are coming after me. And so I'm actively trying to do things differently now, but it, you have to do everything you can, not just for yourself, but to make it better for the, the people that are, that are going to come up after you, not just the moms, but the women and the women of color. Yeah. I mean, if I'm experiencing this as a white woman in a senior position, go, like go down the chain yeah. of privilege and like you have to take whatever privilege you have and make it better Absolutely. for the next and you know, generation. And you don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be combative. You don't have to be an extrovert. And I talk about this all the time. Call out injustice in ways simply by interrupting it, by saying things like, I'm not sure I'm okay with that. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. Just point it out. Don't do, don't be an Instagram activist where you're just like calling out shame in this and shaming people in this passive aggressive way. Like that doesn't do anything. Right. That just makes people annoyed at you. Yeah. Don't Instagram activist and then have nothing to back it up. Like your workplace culture. Yeah. Like do that, make that place better. That's where you can make change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? There was something that I was taught from a very young age where people should, people should in your presence be uncomfortable to do, do or say the wrong thing that in your presence, they should always strive to be better. And that is that that kind of presence is built by exactly holding people accountable to the things that they're saying and doing where they're saying, oh, Zabine's here, Amy's here, now we need to make sure. And they may snicker about it, but you know what? They will doesn't matter. They will never in front of my face dare to make a racist, sexist, ageist, xenophobic, whatever joke, because I will always say, that's not okay. Right? Yeah. I won't say the words that's racist. That's sex. I won't say it. You'll lose them if you use them. But just simply saying, you know, that's not okay. And I can't tell you when you're talking about Instagram and and social media activism, how many people, you know, are so active, but at work when I have been marginalized as a mother, as a woman of color, sat quietly. 
But, you know, the people you will find that are always sticking up for you are the ones that that themselves are are marginalized and not the ones that actually have the privilege or the power to do that. Yeah. A book that everyone should read, and I, I'm obsessed with this book, if you know Lovey Ajayi Jones, Professional Troublemaker, yeah. it's the best book. And it, it talks about a lot of this, right? Um, it talks about really how to be a professional troublemaker, which is, and she says basically this, right? If you have any level of, if, if you are not going to be rendered like homeless or like lose everything by speaking up at work, you should speak up at work. Absolutely. Because otherwise nothing's going to change. Um, Absolutely. Otherwise we uphold the systems that, that keep us down and keep, keep other people down. Right. I have benefited from systems that keep people like me and and people who look different than me down. And that's really bad. <laughs> like We can't do that. We cannot do that. Absolutely. And it's okay to acknowledge that maybe we didn't do things so well leading up to now. And all you can try to do is like change it now and, and do things differently and do things better once you're made aware of, of how you can do that. 100%. Amy Schoenthal, the media marketing advertising PR guru um, on here with us today. Amy, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. And for those of you that want to read more about Amy's work, you can follow her on LinkedIn. I'll share Amy's uh, social media handles in the episode description. And um, you can, of course, check out jobs.mom. We have resources. We have career guidance. We have advice, support. We have um, upskilling and reskilling programs. And above all, we have a team of mentors and experts and a network of professional women and mothers that are ready to help you and tell you, as Amy mentioned, if you want to make a career move, if you are dealing with X, Y, and Z, this is how you're going to get it done. Um, So a very special thank you to Amy and a very special thank you to all of you who are listening. And until next time, stay safe, stay sane. This was Moms at Work. Follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work.